you out. Uh, if that's you or someone you know, um, please know that it's one of the services here at Church in the Marketplace that we are keen to help out if you're not quite confident in heading out into supermarkets uh, for the time being. But here is a quick video, a quick introduction to, uh, to the Alpha course. And it gives you just a bit of a taste about just how professionally produced this is uh, and about how exciting this journey following Jesus can be. Thanks, guys. not alone in that. We all explore, every day, in small ways and big. We find ourselves, reinvent ourselves, define ourselves, publish our lives. We find ways to stand out and ways to blend in. We meet people that remind us of us and people that remind us of who we want to be and people that just make the journey that much more fun. We connect and share. We learn from each other and grow together. We celebrate and mourn side by side. We push our limits, challenge ourselves, fall down and get back up again. Our days are long and our nights get short. We put in the hours in the hope of building something that lasts. And at the end of the day, find joy in the fleeting things. We want to squeeze all the life out of life and hit pause on moments we wish could last. Put simply, we want to live, and along the way, discover all we can, experience more, and find out who we really are. For all our searching, it's rare to find time to think and talk about the big questions of life, about faith and reason and God and meaning. But exploring is good. We're built for it. Well, I'm excited about the journey. What do you think? <laughs> Please be thinking and praying about who you can invite along to Alpha in term one of this year. Finally, uh, friends, if you could help us pack up today, the blood bank are in again this week, so we'd appreciate your help. If you're able to hang around and just pack up the chairs and this stage, that would be a huge help this morning. Are there any young people with us today? Put your hand up. Come on. All right. G'day, young people. How are you going? Looking forward to getting back to school? Yeah, <laughs> no, not so much. Some people are looking forward to heading back to seeing their friends. I can, uh, I can understand that. Uh, I've got with me for my object lesson for you young people today, I've got one of my old watches here. I don't really wear a watch much these days. We all carry around phones. So I stopped wearing a watch a, a few years ago. But, um, but back in the olden days, I used to wear a watch. It used to help me tell the time. Now, I got this particular... Now, I got a few comments when I got this watch because I got it in a very exotic far-off land called Cambodia. Can you say Cambodia? A lovely place to visit, lovely people. And so I started wearing this at my old church and a few of the blokes thought that I was being a bit too high, highfalutin, a bit too up myself, a bit of a, thought I was a bit special because it looks kind of flash, doesn't it? Look at it. Ooh. You can spend thousands of dollars on a nice watch. You can uh, buy something called a Rolex. And I had a quick look online, and I was going to tell you kids this morning that I've seen watches advertised that you can spend thousands of dollars on. I was going to say you can spend three or $4,000 on a watch, 
But then I had a look online last night, and you can spend a lot more than $4,000 on a watch. Any guesses for the most expensive watch that I saw? This is a regular off-the-shelf Rolex. $300,000. You can spend big money on a special type of watch. And this watch looks just like a Rolex, doesn't it? Does it make me look like I'm worth $300,000? Oh, come on, you guys. I think you guys are onto me. This watch didn't really cost thousands of dollars. I bought it in a market in Cambodia for 10 Aussie dollars. I bought Carly a watch home because she wasn't with me in Cambodia. I bought Carly home a fancy watch as well that had Rolex written on it as well. How long do you think it lasted? A couple of days. It wasn't even a week. Wasn't even a week. You see, it wasn't a real Rolex, and this isn't a real Rolex. This is a fake. This is a knockoff. It's not genuine. It's a fraud. So although it might look the business, although it might look fancy, it is, in fact, not the real deal. It's a fake. And so I want you kids to be remembering this morning that when it comes to following Jesus, you want to make sure that you are following the real deal, that you're following the real Jesus and not being caught out by following a fake, not being duped by following a fake. The world will tell you there's lots of different ways to live your life. This is the way to live. Do your own thing. Make your own rules. Go your own way. You decide what's right and wrong. You decide your own truth. You do you, friends. They're lying. It's a fake. It's a fraudulent way to live. Jesus came onto the scene at a time when there were many people claiming to be the Messiah, or the Christ. It's a big fancy word that literally just means the anointed one or the king. So they're all waiting for the coming king to come and save them. And lots of blokes came up and said, yeah, I'm him. I'm the Christ. I'm the long-awaited Messiah. Here I am. Follow me, everybody. Let's go. Those guys were a little bit like those dodgy watches or Carly's watch that only lasted a couple of days. They didn't go the distance. They didn't really last. Only Jesus is God's Messiah or his chosen anointed king. I want you guys to make sure that you're making Jesus the boss of your life, the king of your life, the ruler, the lord of your life. Jesus and nobody else. Don't even make yourself the boss of your life. That's a pretty radical thing to say these days, but you go, I hope you don't grow up to make anyone other than Jesus the boss of your life. We know Jesus is genuine. We know that he's the real deal because later on today, the grown-ups are going to be studying this passage where Jesus got baptized, and at the moment that he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came down, looked like a bit of a dove, and, and a light landed on him and a voice from heaven, the voice of God himself said, this is my beloved son. Trust in him. Follow him. With him I am well pleased. So Jesus has God's stamp of approval. There'll be many people as you kids grow up trying to tell you what to do, 
trying to tell you how to live, but I want you guys to make sure that you are only following Jesus, that you are only looking to him as your example, and you trust only in Jesus to help you make the move from this flesh and blood life into life eternal, life abundant with him in heaven forever. Amen? Let's pray for our young people. Let's pray especially, uh, I love your enthusiasm, young Maria. You'll go far, young lady, in this world. Let's pray for all of our kids. Let's pray. Loving Lord, we do lift up to you our children. We hold before you our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. We think of nieces or nephews within our own families. We think of the young people within our fellowship here at church in the marketplace. Lord, we pray that whether they be young or old, we pray that they will indeed be looking to Jesus himself as their one true Lord and King, the real deal, the genuine article. Father, please grant them discerning to see through the lies and the fakes and the frauds. Help them to cut through the noise of this world. The white noise, the background noise, and the lure of this world, the things of this world, the bright lights of this world that, Father, we know can never bring true fulfillment, can never lead us into true, abundant resurrection life. Father, please be putting people in our children's paths who can disciple them and lead them into life eternal, who can disciple them into a life spent following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And it's in his, his mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. All right, well, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, you can open up to Matthew chapter 3 this morning. There's many, there's a few different uh, versions of the baptism of Jesus. I've chosen uh, Matthew's version this morning. If you've got a phone or your eye thing, you can go there. I'm going to get David to come up and read it in just a moment. But I did want to do a little bit of an, an introduction uh, to, this, uh, to this passage uh, this morning before we, before we hear uh, from David. But firstly, uh, let's uh, commit this time to God in prayer. Let's pray. Yes, loving Lord, we humbly come before you this morning. And we still ourselves. put to one side the busyness of this world. We put to one side the fears of this world. We place ourselves in your hands this morning, Lord. We offer you our lives. We offer you this moment, this sacred moment alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ as we open up your word and we say, Heavenly Father, reveal yourself to us now. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people said... Amen. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm very excited about this uh, passage this morning. I love Sunday morning worship. It's my favorite time of the week. I hope it's yours because we get to open up God's word to us this morning. Now, I'm sure we're all familiar with these scenes. We often see almost on a nightly basis 
of uh, the politicians who, uh, who like to, to get around with we regular folk. I'm sure you're all familiar with those scenes where they'll put on a bit of a hairnet and they'll go and help serve in a soup kitchen. They'll help serve up the, the gravy and, and the meat and potatoes at, at a homeless shelter. They might uh, go down to the local pub and, uh, and have a beer, just like one of the regular boys. If they go out to the country, you all know the drill. They all wear the, the politicians' uniform. They even joke about it now because they all sort of like to identify with the country folk. And you, I can guarantee they'll be wearing chinos and a, and a chambray shirt and a cobra, won't they? It's their way of saying, I'm one of you. I'm identifying with you. Now, you might be a little bit cynical uh, sometimes about politicians' motives, but, but regardless of, of what drives them, it, it is important for any type of leader to be able to identify with the people that they're leading. It is important for a leader to be able to say, hey, look, I hear you, and, and, and I know what you're going through, and, and, and I want you to know that, that I care. I want you to know that I'm one of you, that I, that I identify with you, that, I, that I'm hearing you, uh, that I'm, I'm listening to you, and that, that, that I'm one of you, that I'm, 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 we're all in this together. We are, we are all in, in the same boat. I read this week of a, a huge a hospital that every year in this vein throws a massive Christmas party whereby the senior management actually serve the frontline staff. So every year the hospital throws a massive Christmas party and the senior management put on their waiters' outfits and they go and serve dinner to the admin staff and, and, and the nurses and all the admin people who serve day in, day out on the front line in order to make the hospital function. It was the senior staff way of saying, listen, we are one of you. We value you. I read that one of the staff actually commented that it was kind of nice to have the chief of medicine pouring my coffee and the chairman of the hospital board serving me dessert. She also confessed, however, that she felt a little bit of discomfort about it. She was a little bit uncomfortable when her waiter asked, Ma'am, would you like the chicken or the steak? Only for her to look up and see that it was the hospital's top neurosurgeon. She thought, well, just as well brains weren't on the menu. Or she'd be asking, where'd you get that from, Doc? Again, it's much like the politicians serving in a homeless shelter. This was management's way of telling the staff that they were valued, that they matter that regardless of their paycheck, that they were important. Regardless of where they sat in the organisation's flowchart, that what they did was important. Regardless of their position description or their, their title, that they were an important part of the team, that what they did really mattered. But what I find interesting about that story and what I find interesting about our story today that David's going to bring us is that some of the staff felt unworthy of the attention that they were getting. Some of them felt as though they weren't quite worthy enough to be receiving such special treatment. They struggled to accept this sort of hospitality from people who they considered to be their superiors. 
It's a little bit like our reading. Thanks, DJ. It's a little bit like our reading this morning and of John the Baptist. Be keeping an eye out for John's response in this reading when he's confronted with Jesus, who, by the way, um, was, uh, was his second cousin. He was uh, related to Jesus. Which uh, mic do you want me to use, way? This one? Beauty. David, do you want to come and bring us our reading today from Matthew chapter 3? It is a story of the greatest leader of all humbling himself and identifying with you and me. There you go, buddy. Do you want to put it up there? The reading today is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. John the Baptist prepares the way. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, professing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers, you warned, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his fleshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The Baptism of Jesus then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. 
And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Here ends the lesson. Amen. Thank you, DJ. That was great, mate. Really well read. Now, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer was related to Jesus. Uh, his mothers, both of their mothers knew each other. They were related to each other. You might remember the episode whereby the two mothers meet and they're both pregnant with their children. Uh, Mary with Jesus and John the Baptist was in the womb of his mother e Elizabeth. And upon their meeting... Uh, John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb. We don't know whether John and Jesus spent a lot of time with each other or whether they even really knew each other terribly well, but they, but they certainly would have at least known of each other, and John certainly gives us a, a word of warning. He gives us a, a precursor. This is one who's coming who's far greater than me. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. You see, John was the original fire and brimstone preacher. Uh, in case you haven't worked it out already, I'm not much of a fire and brimstone preacher, but John was a, the re a real hard man. John was a real wild man. He uh, wore uh, clothing made out of camel's hair. He ate wild locusts and honey, and he preached a, a baptism of repentance. He was the, uh, a real wild child. He didn't take any prisoners. He called it like it is. And he didn't mind, as we hear, heard in our reading, standing up to the powerful and saying, you guys need to change your ways and repent and not being intimidated by the most powerful men in society. He was the last in a long line of the old school prophets. Those prophets of old from the Old Testament or the old covenant who boldly declared God's will into a particular situation for Israel. John was the last of their line. His ministry symbolized the close of that age as he handed off the baton to the Christ, to the Messiah, to his, his second cousin, Jesus, of, Jesus of, of Nazareth. He had a, a powerful ministry, and it was one that was very popular. We're told in the reading that people were coming from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole countryside, they were coming down to the River Jordan to be baptised by him. Now, this is interesting because in Judaism, there's really no history of baptism at all. Now, this word to baptise, it literally means to dunk or to submerge in water. So when I, I wash my shirts, if they need a good soaking and I I I submerge them, I baptize them, right? I put them underneath the water. That's literally what the word means. There's one or two little episodes we know from history within Judaism of people practicing baptism, but it's, it's, never, it's not anywhere in our Old Testament or, or in the Jewish scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures at all. So it is a, a strange thing to be doing, but nevertheless, it's proving to be very successful. People are flocking to him to be baptized by him. And he's preaching a baptism of what? Of repentance. He's preaching a baptism of repentance. So what is driving these people? What is drawing them out from the big city, out into the wilderness, down into what I haven't... Has anyone seen the River Jordan, by the way? 
Is it an impressive piece of water? It's not particularly at all from what I hear. It's 10 feet deep at its deepest, what, 100 feet wide. It's, to, apparently to call it a river is quite a generous term. But they're flocking down to this little piece of water to be submerged, to be dunked, to be baptised by John, to repent. Um, some of them probably came out wanting healing for various ailments. But probably more than that, I think people were just coming wanting a fresh start. You know that feeling when you get out of the shower or you get out of the bath, freshly toweled, ready to take on the world. I think that's what people were wanting. And John is boldly declaring, you know what, it's, it's more than just a washing, more than just a purification. In baptism, that is certainly part of it. Right when we go down to Bronte Beach and we baptize people, yeah, being cleansed of sin, and, and, and it's certainly part of that purification aspect of water. But this was more than just a one-time act of washing or purification or cleansing. This is a baptism of repentance. This is a decision to change. John is calling people out of their old way of life onto a new path to turn their back on sin, to turn their back on everything that is not of God. He's saying, listen, you guys need to change your ways, change the direction of your life. This was a commitment. This was a decision to change the course of your life. Now, it also turns out that John wasn't going to have a bar of anyone trying to co-opt his baptism as he prepared the way for the coming Christ. In our reading today, some Pharisees and some Sadducees, politicians of their day, really, these were leading men in Jewish society. They were rival factions in Jewish society. There were various different factions sort of arm wrestling for control. You had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You had the Essenes and the Zealots that sort of wanted to over, overthrow the Roman Empire. These two were normally antagonistic towards each other. They normally didn't like each other, but on a couple of occasions in the Scriptures, we know that they came together to try to take down Jesus. And here they are. They've seen some paths being trod from Jerusalem down to the river, and they wonder what's going on. So they turn up. These leading men are seeing the ordinary, everyday, common folk flocking down to this wild man, to this hard man, and they wonder what's going on. So they come down to check it out. Perhaps they're just wanting to identify with the common man like the politicians of today. But, but John catches a, a whiff of hypocrisy in their motives, and he just unloads on them. This fire and brimstone preacher in one of the most vicious, violent takedowns in the whole of the New Testament says this. Have a listen to what he says. He says, you brood of vipers. Ooh, that's got to hurt, doesn't it? A brood of vipers. I don't care what time or culture you're from. That's got to hurt, being called a brood of vipers. He says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Your religious pedigree won't help you. They thought that because they, had the, they were the best and the brightest, the most educated, the most powerful, they thought they were the most worthy, the most holy, the most godly. But he, John says, none of that's going to help you at all. Don't put your trust in your degrees, in your war, or who your father or your grandfather, your great-grandfather was. None of that's going to matter at all. He says, repent. 
he says the axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit is going to be thrown into the fire. It's one of two references to fire in today's reading. He's really going after them. And just when you sort of think that he's done berating them, he goes on, he continues, I'll baptize you for repentance, but after me is going to come one even more powerful than I, one whose sandals I'm not even fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He says his winnowing fork, winnowing fork was like what they used to do, the thresh wheat, right? So his winnowing fork is, is at hand and he's clearing out his threshing floor. He's going to gather in his wheat, right, the good stuff. He used to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to gather in his wheat into his barn, but all of the chaff, that is the useless stuff, is going to be burned up with an unquenchable fire. So far from not feeling good enough, these Pharisees and Sadducees think they're all that and a packet of crisps. They think they're pretty red hot and John is going to take them down. They think they're the best and the brightest and John is not going to allow them to to turn his baptism of repentance, of humbling yourself. He's not going to allow that to be co-opted for political gain. So just as, just as this happens, Jesus himself arrives on the scene. So Jesus uh, turns up at this point, And all of a sudden, John, this fire and brimstone preacher, this man that has just scolded the most powerful men in Jewish society, all of a sudden, John's feeling a little bit unworthy. <laughs> All of a sudden, John's feeling a little bit uneasy. He's, he's shocked by the request. He's, he's humbled by this request. He doesn't feel worthy enough. He doesn't feel up to the task. The Messiah taking the place of, of a, a sinner was more than, than John could possibly bear. But, but Jesus, in one of the most profound words of love and and kindness and one of the most profound, uplifting and embracing statements, tells John it's okay. He says, it's okay, brother. He says, I'm here for you. He says, it's all right. I value you. I value what you're doing. And I need you here, mate. He didn't say mate, but if he was an Aussie, I'm sure that's what he would have said. He says to John, it's okay. This is the right thing for us to do. You're up to the task. I've got a job to do. I've got to go out and rescue my people. And I need you, brother. I need your help. You have an important part to play here. And I need you on board. I need you to do your bit in order that I can do mine. It's okay, John. We're going to do this in order to make things right. Now, I suspect at this point, John still doesn't fully get it. He still doesn't fully understand why it has to be this way. He fully probably doesn't really understand why he's being given this enormous privilege of baptizing the Christ, the chosen one of God, the Lamb of God, Emmanuel, God with us. But he trusts Jesus, and so he goes with it. He trusts 
that Jesus knows what he is doing and he drops his resistance and he indeed follows Jesus' request and, and baptises Jesus in the River Jordan. In one of the great Trinitarian moments of the Bible, we have the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit all being present in one moment. If you haven't seen that, go back and have a look later on today. You'll see all members of the Trinity are present in this moment. The Holy Spirit alights on him and the voice from heaven comes, this is my son, whom I love. Trust in him, follow him. The question that's got to be asked this morning as we ask ourselves, what does all this mean for us today? Right, how, do we, how do we live this out? How does this help me this week? We've got to ask, well, what is, why did Jesus need to be baptised in the first place. Remember, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And we know that Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God. He was without sin. So, so why did he need to be baptized at all? Some theologians will tell you that it was just Jesus setting an example for you and I. At the end of his ministry, he commands us to go and to baptize the nations, doesn't he? Um, so this might have been Jesus just giving us an example. But it's probably a lot more than simply that. I think it's Jesus' way of saying, great leader that he was, I'm here with you. I'm identifying with you. I'm with you in this. I'm with you through all of this. We are in this together and I understand. In being baptised, Jesus was identifying with you and I, the common people, the little people. And in his baptism, here's a little theological truth for you this morning. We're going to get a little bit theological, but go with me. I know it's only still early January. But think for a moment, Jesus' baptism at the start of his ministry is actually a foreshadowing of the end of his ministry in his death and resurrection. Can you see that? It's actually a pointing towards what, what is going to happen, about where he's going. It foreshadows his greatest Accomplishment is death and resurrection for you and for me. Jesus is trying to tell us here that his baptism, again, his death and resurrection, is a truth that has the potential to change your life. Jesus came down in order to lift you up. He took your place so that you could take his place in heaven. He lost his life so that you could find your life. He came to be with you so that you could be with him. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the great exchange, the spotless lamb of God dying in order that you might live. This is Jesus saying, I'm here with you. I'm coming down here for you. He left his place in heaven, to come and live as a carpenter in a backwater that nobody thought much of. Think of the circumstances of his birth. Humble, lowly, scandalous. The Apostle Paul puts this truth very well in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, being dunked, symbolizing of death, death to self, and being risen to new life. That's what baptism 
is all about. When Carly and I were first married, we worshipped in a Baptist church out at Wellington, not Wellington, New Zealand, Wellington near Dubbo. Has anyone been to Wellington out near that beautiful part of the world? And in the Baptist church at Wellington, New South Wales, if you enter the church, you will see emblazoned across the front of the sanctuary over their baptism because they're a Baptist church and they dunk people in their church. Over the baptistry, they'll have the words from Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, buried with Christ, risen with him. I took it to heart. I was sitting in worship every Sunday for a few years in our early uh, married life, and I thought, that is such a powerful statement. And I've taken it on board. I kind of make it a bit of a life verse for me. Buried with Christ and risen with him. Those of you who have been baptized will know that that is essentially what we are doing. You are buried with Christ. It's symbolic of your death. You're saying, I'm no longer living for myself but I'm being raised to new life. I'm not living for Pete Chapman, but I'm living for you, Lord. That is the symbolism of baptism. So where are you in the midst of this story? Can I leave you with a bit of a, bit of a challenge to place yourself in this story? Is there a little bit of Pharisee and Sadducee in you? And I think, truth be told, for many of we Charlie churches who regularly come to church... It's hard to escape that creeping up in us from time to time. It's a constant danger. I know the Pharisees and the Sadducees are the bad guys, but you've got to think it's very, very hard to sort of resist that urge to feel a little bit high and mighty or to look down on, on other people. They didn't think that they needed lifting up at all. They thought they were all that. They thought they didn't need anything at all. Can I encourage you, friend, to know that you do indeed need saving. You need washing, you need purifying, you need cleansing, you need healing, and you need reconciling to God. The problem with, I think, many of our Aussie friends out there is that they don't recognize this. They think they're okay without God. I'm okay. I pay my taxes. I do my bit. I raise my family. I even help out every once in a while. I coach the kids' soccer team or something, and they think they're okay. Friend, you are not okay. Without God's saving grace, you are lost. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and we are alienated from God in that state. We need God's saving grace through the death and resurrection of his son to bring us back into right relationship. He paid the price for us at the cross of Calvary once and for all to wash us clean. So guard against that whenever you feel that rising up, that Pharisaic sort of mindset. Know that there's no room for arrogance in the Christian church. Zero room for any arrogance or sanctimony or looking down on others or judgmentalism. It was not Jesus' way. It should not be our way at all. But on the other hand, maybe you a little bit like John in this story. Maybe you're the sort of person that thinks, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I see it all the time in churches, by the way. I think we don't want to be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We know they're the bad guys. The trouble is we end up all the way over here, and it's like, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I could never help out. I don't have anything to offer. Friend, you do, and we need you. We need you to do your part. 
We need you to know that God sent his son to die for you, that you are precious and special and loved. We need you to know that regardless of what position description you have, regardless of your paycheck, regardless of how knowledgeable you might be about the scripture, know that there is a a role to play and we need you to play it in 2022. We are one body, many parts. And if one piece of the body is absent, we are hurting. If one piece of the body is not here, we miss you. We need you. So I'm committed to coming around and tapping some of you guys on the shoulder this year and saying, hey, we really need you guys to step up. We have some staffing changes this year. We're going to need to pivot this year to do things a little bit differently. So can I ask you that maybe if there's a little bit of John the Baptist lurking in you at this, on this day where you felt, oh, well, I'm not really good enough to do this. Yes, friend, you are. We want you to know that you are valued, you are loved, you are special, and you have an important part to play in God's church here in 2022. Allow yourself to, to realize that Jesus himself the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the spotless Lamb of God came down to be with us. He came down in order to lift you up. Won't you allow yourself to submit yourself to his rule today and let him carry you onwards into new adventures, new challenges, bigger and better things for him in this coming year. Amen? Let's pray. Yes, loving Lord, we do come before you this morning and we, we humbly seek that you might show us, Lord, how much you value us. If it's difficult for us to see that within ourselves, if at times we've been taught by this world to think that we are not of value, we pray that you might reveal to us your love for us. Help us to see that each of us has an inherent value. We are made in your image. We are special. We are loved. And we have a part to play in building up the body in 2022. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Invite our band to come forward. They're going to sing before we spend a a moment in prayer and uh, finish up this morning. Thank you, band. Let's uh, let's stand and see. We're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Things of earth will grow strangely. 
Stay with us for a moment. I'm just going to please take a seat. We will pray for our world. So let's, uh, let's still ourselves and lift up to God uh, those in need at this time uh, in our own lives, around this land and around the world. Let's pray. Loving Lord, we are very much aware that we live in a fallen world, a flawed world, a world very much in need of your healing touch at present. Father, we think of the entire human family, we think of the entire globe, and we are reminded how blessed we are here in Australia. We say thank you for such a wonderful medical care, Father, at this time. Father, we say thank you for our hospitals, for doctors and for nurses, 
by Ambos, Father. We pray that you might sustain them, bless them, Father. Use them to be bringing healing to the nations, we pray. We think of those wonderful services, Doctors Without Borders, those who bring healing to those parts of the world that are bereft of modern medical care, Father. We pray that you might prosper their work. Father, for our own land, Australia, we pray that you might bring healing, not just in the physical, Father, but bring healing in the spiritual. Wherever we have turned astray, wherever we have turned our back on you, wherever this land has said, no, no, we are going to go our own way, we know better, Lord, we repent of that. We repent of all that is not of you, and we turn to you, we commit to your good life-giving laws for our life, Heavenly Father. Help us as a church to be modeling abundant resurrection life, following Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Father, we think of those nearest and dearest to us. We think of those who are currently ill. We think of those who are in isolation at the moment, Father our own church family and indeed every church family around this land is is struggling with that at the moment father so for our loved ones the members of our own family that are sick with any number of different things we pray that you might bring healing father we pray that you might be at work in bringing healing and reconciliation mending broken relationships lord Father, we think of those within our own tribe, those within our own clan who do not know you, those who are far from you. Father, soften hearts, break into their lives. Reveal yourself to them, Heavenly Father. And help us, your church, to fling wide the gate to welcome with open arms, Father, all those who would come to you, all those that would come who would repent of their worldliness and come to you and say, here I am, Lord. Take me and use me. Wash me clean. I am yours. Help me to be your hands and your feet this week. So loving Lord, come and bring healing and wholeness, bring peace, bring joy in body, mind and in spirit this week. In Jesus' name, people said, Amen. Thanks, man. We're going to stand and sing, uh, what a beautiful name.
name it is indeed how good is that friends go out this week declaring the powerful the wonderful the beautiful name of Jesus in everything you say and in everything you do in word and indeed this week let's be lifting up Jesus the King of Kings the Lord of Lords who was bought low in order that we might be lifted up and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever amen